Hey, good morning, Seacoast. It's great to see everybody. I want to welcome you uh, to the church this weekend. I can't wait for Serve Day. It's going to be so much fun to see so many people descend on our cities just serving out of the love of Christ and encourage you to be a part of that. My name is Josh. If I haven't met you, I serve as a lead pastor here. And I want to welcome those of you in the room. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us at one of our locations or maybe online. I've gotten about four text messages this morning from online viewers, one from uh, a Southwest Airlines campus is what she said, uh, one from Jamaica, which I'd be happy to trade places with you, uh, one from Capitol Hill. And so we just know that people are gathered all over the, the country and all over the world uh, worshiping with us. But we love you. You're part of our family and we're grateful for you. I want to mention a couple things before I jump into the message. One, uh, this past weekend at our Irmo campus, we had a marriage conference, and uh, so I got a text from Brian Adelman this morning, and so excited about what God did. Several hundred people gathered up there uh, working on their marriages, and also this coming weekend at our West campus, we're doing another marriage conference, and so if you're married and you want to build on a strong foundation, or maybe you're going through a tough spot right now, I just encourage you, uh, sign up for a marriage conference. It's going to be great. Uh, this coming Wednesday kicks off a season of uh, the church calendar that's called Lent, and it's 40 days leading up to Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and uh, I just wanted to let you know that we're going to be providing some resources to you uh, online through a devotional that we're going to do, and so you can sign up for that at seacoast.org slash Lent. And then I wanted to mention one more thing to you. Uh, we told you all several months ago, starting October 15th, we started really going after putting our messages every week into uh, correctional facilities all around the country. We've had over 60,000 people experience an entire service start to finish online in a correctional facility since October 15th, which is really cool. And that can just sound like a number, but uh, it really became real to me. This is my stack of mail that I picked up just a couple of weeks ago, all of these are letters that were sent from people who are in a correctional facility uh, explaining what God has been doing in their life through your generosity and through this church. This one uh, came from a guy, and he, he said, Dear Seacoast, I've been thrilled to watch the services made available on Edovo these past several weeks. This morning, I watched Pastor Walter's sermon on receiving God's grace, something I struggle with as I continue uh, with, with my story, The Lies of the Enemy. He said, the person on your staff that I felt the deepest connection with is Mr. Chip Judd. I quit reading after that. I don't, I don't know <laughs> how that can be possible, although it's honestly not surprising that Chip's really connecting uh, there. But, you know, so anyways, a lot of cool stories, a lot of cool stories. Uh, Chip's here today. Give him a hard time. But... Um, but I just want to say thank you. Uh, we, we were able to do that because of your generosity. And when you read the stories, and, and our last service, somebody commented on, on Church Online and said, hey, I'm in Michigan. I first connected with Seacoast through my correctional facility. I'm now out now, and I watch online, and it's been a huge part of what I'm doing. And so I, I, I love that. Hey, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, anybody pulling for the Chiefs today? Okay, a couple people. I see some jerseys. Anybody pulling for the 49ers? Okay. Our campus pastor of our McClellanville campus, uh, Ned Smith, sent this meme out to our campus pastors. I really related to it. It shows who America's rooting for in the Super Bowl. Uh, little pocket on one side for the Niners, in the middle for the Chiefs. How many of you can they both lose? Are you identifying with the gray on that? Yeah, I, I like that. I like that. How many of you just want to know if Taylor Swift's going to get engaged uh, and have some kind of moment? You know, it's all about Taylor, right? 
Got some booze in the house. Uh, I, I love the Super Bowl. I look forward to watching that. Uh, you know, we're in a series. This is the last weekend that we called Battlegrounds. And uh, a lot of battles, you know, we fight and face are battles that we gear up for, kind of like the Super Bowl. They know going into tonight, it's going to be a battle. They're preparing for it. Uh, we've talked a lot about how we put on the armor of God and get our mind in the right place to fight battles. But how many of you know sometimes a battle chooses you? There are times in life that we didn't go looking for a battle, but we woke up and found ourselves in a battle that we did not choose. You know, to illustrate it, there's one of the greatest hits from a Pro Bowl in history I want to show you. Sometimes we can feel like this punter from the Pro Bowl a few years ago. Boom. Oh, gosh. See, think about it. This poor guy, he's in the Pro Bowl. He's going to get a first down. His family's in the stand. Did you know punters even made the Pro Bowl? I didn't even know they could go to the Pro Bowl. He sees an opportunity. He's going for the first down, and all of a sudden, boom, he gets hit, and he didn't see it coming. And I show you the clip because it resonates with some moments that I know I've had in my life, and I know many of you have had in your life, where you didn't see the hit coming, but a battle suddenly chose you. Maybe it's the sudden loss of somebody that you love. All of a sudden, you find yourself in a battle with grief that you didn't choose. Maybe the sudden change in your financial situation, whether that was a loss of a job or a business that you started, all of a sudden came crashing down, and you're in a battle that you didn't choose. Could be in a relationship. You thought things were going fine. All of a sudden, you find yourself in a new relational status, a, a, a broken friendship or a broken marriage. And all of a sudden, you're in a battle that you didn't choose, but it's here, and you got to do something about it. Early this year, got sick right after Christmas with the flu and got kind of delayed in getting going to the new year. But about the first week of the year, I found myself, I was sitting at my kitchen table uh, hanging out with my family and my watch went off and it was like, hey, your heart, your heart rate's going too fast. And so I started digging into it and I, I found myself in a battle with anxiety. I'm 44 years old. I've never been anxious a day in my life. And all of a sudden I'm like, what is going on with my body? I'm feeling anxiety. And I realized, man, I'm in a, a battle that I didn't choose. And maybe some of you are in a mental health crisis or battle. It could be with addiction. You go out with your friends, everybody else has a drink, you have one drink, and all of a sudden, you find yourself in a battle with addiction that you didn't choose. What do we do when the battle chooses us? Today, we're going to look in our Bibles in a story from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up to there. If you don't, you can follow along on our message notes on our app. Um, and, but, but, but it's a story of a king, Jehoshaphat. And he suddenly finds himself in a battle that he didn't choose. If you know anything about the kings of, of the Bible and the Old Testament, when they introduce us to a king, they tell us right away whether that king did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord or what was good in the eyes of the Lord. And King Jehoshaphat, although he had his moments, he's a king that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, the chapter before we're going to read, he had created a whole bunch of spiritual reforms and was trying to turn the, the nation of Israel or, or Judah is the, the nation that he led. It was a divided kingdom at that point. He's trying to turn their hearts back to God. He's doing the right thing, 
put some reforms in place, and then let's look what happened in verse one and two. It says, after this, after what? After he did the right thing, often the enemy comes attacking after we're trying to do the right thing. We decide we're gonna show up to church. We're gonna get involved in this small group. We're gonna change our life. All of a sudden, the enemy attacks. It says, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Munites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. And by the way, they're already in En Gedi. They're already here. So Jehoshaphat's this king of, of Judah. He's making good choices. And all of a sudden, he gets news that all of his enemies surrounding him have joined forces. They're now allies with each other. And they have declared war on him and on his nation. I imagine he's like, well, well okay, war's coming, so, so where are they? And the answer is, they're in the foyer. Like, they're, they're here. They, there's no time to kind of get a plan together. Like, the enemy is on our doorstep. What are you gonna do? What do you do when all of a sudden, the battle chooses you? Here's what he does. The first thing that he does, and I think we can take some cues from him, is pray honest prayers. Be honest. Get honest with yourself about what's going on. Let's look a little closer at Jehoshaphat's prayer. It says, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. So he's praying, reminding God of what he's done. And now we see that the armies, what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You wouldn't let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. Notice he kind of blames God a little bit. Hey, remember when you wouldn't let us do this? Well, well, now they went around them and didn't destroy them. Now we see how they reward us. For we have, they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. If you're facing a battle that you didn't choose, pray honest prayers. And if you don't know what to pray, his is a pretty good one to start with. I love the NIV version. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do. God, I don't know how I'm gonna solve this. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. That's a prayer that we ought to get very familiar with praying. But it's so counterintuitive, isn't it? Especially if you're a leader. You know, you're a father and your family's facing a battle. It feels so counterintuitive to go and say, God, kids, kids, let's go before God. I don't have an answer, but, but God does. Let's pray for him. Everything in us tells us we should take control we should present strength. In fact, I want you to think about Jehoshaphat's story. What if that happened in our country today? What if we got word that Russia and China and Iran, they've all joined forces, they've decided to attack us, and, and, and we find out about it when they show up on the shores of New York City and they're attacking. Can you imagine if the president of our country, I don't care what your political persuasion is, but if the president of our country called a press conference, 
gathered everybody together, national TV, all of your shows get interrupted. Hey guys, we're at war. What are you hoping a president's gonna say? Probably not what this guy said, right? <laughs> Probably not, hey guys, we've been attacked. The enemy's here. Don't worry though, I have no idea what we're gonna do, but I'm praying about it. Like, we would crucify that president. We, we, would, we would destroy, the media would tear him up, right? Because that's not what a strong leader does, or is it? That's what Jehoshaphat did. He started by just being honest and saying, hey, we didn't see this coming. I don't know what to do, but I'm looking to God for help. Have you ever been in a position where you didn't know what to do? You had no answers for the problems that you were facing? When I first got into ministry, uh, I was part of a team that launched our first campus, the Annex. And every year we would go to Atlanta for a conference to learn and grow and try to stretch ourselves as a leader. And the campus pastor at the time called me one day and he said, Josh, hey, our trip to Atlanta is next week. Uh, we're all gonna drive, but one of the guys on our team is gonna fly and he's got an extra seat. Would you like to fly with him? I was like, oh man, that, that's awesome. I was thinking, what a great leader that you would give me your seat on that Delta flight. See, what I envisioned with this flight was this airplane right here. Uh, we're gonna hop on it. When I got to the airport, I realized that we were flying in this airplane, which <laughs> is a little bit of a different experience. And what you need to know about our family is that I actually had lost a sister-in-law in a private plane crash just a couple of years before that. And Lisa and I love to explore, travel, but we just made an agreement. We're never gonna fly on small planes because of what happened. Well, somehow he talked me into it, Lisa agreed, and we get in this two-seat Cessna 150 airplane and we take off from Mount Pleasant Airport to go to Atlanta. And I don't know if you've ever done anything like this before, but it is amazing. Just a beautiful view, a clear day, the bridge and Charleston, seeing it from the sky, totally different vantage point. So I'm loving it. This is amazing. We get about an hour, hour and a half into this flight, and the pilot says, hey, Josh, he's visual with flight rating, so he doesn't have instruments. He said, hey, we're going to pass a couple of telephone poles on the right. There should be an airport up there. We're going to need to stop. I'm like, huh, that wasn't part of our game plan, but okay, I got you. I'll find it. So we're looking out past these telephone poles, and there's no airport. And, uh, and, and he says, that's all right. There's another one that should be up here on our left to just keep an eye out. We got to stop. And I look over at him, and he is profusely sweating. And I'm like, bro, what, what's going on? Like, what, what, why are we landing? He's like, it's, it's all right. We just, there's an airport. It's going to be just fine. And so we can't find the airport. We're now searching for an airport, and, and he's freaking out. And he goes, Josh, I'm sorry. We got to land this plane. We're going to land it in that field over there. And he points to what he called a field. I didn't see a field. I saw a lot of trees and a little space in between them. But he said that we're going to land. I'm like, what are you talking about? We're going to land right there. He said, we've got to land this plane. I said, what is going on? He said, Josh, I'm so sorry, but I have got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm like, all right, dude, what number do you need to go? Because I'll do either one right now in this chair if it'll make you feel better about doing it in your chair but we're not landing this airplane. Like, that is not a good reason to land the airplane. And he's like, no, we're, and I'm, I, this true story, I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, no, I, I've read about this before. We can land in that field. You don't want a pilot telling you, I've read about this before. <laughs> and so we literally, we, we start circling 
uh, in these narrow circles and we get down and I don't know if there's potholes or tree stumps or whatever, but we land in this little field and as soon as the plane stops, these two pickup trucks show up. These farmers are not happy that, uh, that, that we landed in their field. And so he makes up some story. Uh, he uses the bathroom. And then it occurs to me, we have to get back up in the air. Like, how are we going to do that? And, and, and so he takes the plane and we drive it back to the edge of the tree line. I don't know how big the field was, but it didn't look more than about two football fields. It was a tiny little field. And, uh, and, and we start going and we're revving this thing as fast as it goes. I don't know how fast a Cessna 150 goes, but it's not very fast. I mean, we're just boom, boom, boom. We're kind of bouncing around in these potholes and we get about halfway to the field. We still haven't come off the ground. And now all of a sudden we get off the ground, but he goes straight into the trees. And now I've got a decision to make. I have my hand on the, the door. I've unbuttoned my seatbelt. And I'm like, I think I have a better chance jumping out of this thing than if it lands. I, I promise you. And so I'm, I'm, I'm watching. We're getting closer and closer to the trees. He's not going up. He's going straight. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, trust me. Trust me. I'm like, I don't trust you at all. None. And we get right to the edge of the tree line. As I'm getting ready to open the door, he pulls up and we just barely, I mean, we're clipping branches. We barely get up into the air. And for about the next three minutes, it's completely silent. Both of us don't say a word. I'm mad at him. Uh, he's freaking out. And finally, he breaks the silence and he says, Josh, I cannot believe we did that. And then he says, I think I'm going to pass out. I'm like, bro, you are not passing out. Like, I don't. And he's like, I just want you to know my adrenaline is going. If I pass out, here's what I want you to do. And I'm like, I've never been in a cockpit of an airplane before this moment. And now you want me to fly this thing to Atlanta while you take a, a nap after you just did something stupid. And it's a silly story. You know how it ends because I'm standing here today. Here's what I'll tell you. I did not fly back from Atlanta in his airplane. I, I was in a car. But it was one of those moments where you're completely powerless. I can't fly an airplane. I didn't choose this battle. I don't know what to do. God help. God help. And some of you know that prayer. You're in a situation. You're in a battle that you did not choose. I want to encourage you. Be honest. Don't try to pretend. Don't act like you've got it together. The first step is God help. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. If you don't know what to pray, borrow Jehoshaphat's prayer. It's a good one. Second thing he does is he waits on a word. He waits on a word from God. Remember, there's an enemy in his nation. This does not seem like a good time to wait for anything. It seems like a time for action, but he calls the people to pray, and here's what happens. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives and children, the spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of somebody, son of somebody. Here's what I gather from all of the son ofs. This wasn't Elisha. This wasn't a prophet. This wasn't a key leader in the nation. This was just a part of the crew that God poured his spirit on when, when the king called them to pray. And here's what he said. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours, but God's. 
Somebody may need to borrow that answer to prayer today. The battle is not yours. It's God's. He says, tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Can, can you imagine this? He, he gets a word from God, but it's not what you would think. It doesn't come from the kind of person you'd expect it to come from. And then the instructions are, here's what I want you to do. Take all of the, the, the army. I want you to go up to the front line of the battle. And I want you to get there. And then I want you to stand still and wait. Waiting can be uncomfortable, can it? Like, I should do something. I'm a military commander in a time of war. I should do something. I, I should, no, 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 no. This isn't your battle. I want you to get everybody together and I just want you to go to the front lines and I want you to wait. Wait for me. Will God wait for you to do what? Just wait. You'll see. I put myself in Jehoshaphat's shoes and gosh, it got to be so hard. You've got an enemy on your doorstep and you pray, but then the instruction is just, just wait. Just hang out. Any other control freaks in the room that kind of like to be in control of what's going on? Like, gosh, it can be hard to wait. But for some of us, that's the instruction today is I know there's a battle. You need to remember that it's not yours. And you need to wait. I love in Exodus, there's another verse where basically says the same thing. It says, if you're careful to obey him, following all my instructions, God says, then I will be an enemy to your enemies. And I will oppose those who oppose you. Don't apply that to your spouse, by the way. That's not the enemy. <laughs> Don't apply it to the business partner that you're in conflict with right now. He's not the enemy. It's the fear behind your frustration. It's the anxiety behind your frustration. It's the feelings of abandonment or of disappointment. Those are enemies of God. Those aren't his word over your life. Those aren't what he has planned for you. And, and we can take solace in the fact that God is fighting those enemies for us. And there are times that you're in a battle you didn't choose. Be honest, pray honest prayers, and you just gotta wait. Wait for the Lord. You can tell that Jehoshaphat is a type A leader because he does follow God's instructions mostly. But he calls an audible once they get to the front lines. And that's the third thought for us is that we would worship in the warfare. I love this. It says, after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. What song did they sing? They sang the song that says, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And look what happens in verse 22. At the very moment that they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir. They killed every single one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, 
all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. They should make a movie about that. It's such a powerful scene. But he waits on a word. They go to wait at the battle lines. And then the king has, a, has an inkling that, you know what we should do? We're going to send the worship team out first. So what's going to scare an army enemy like guys in skinny jeans with guitars and tattoos? You know, just going to intimidate the heck out of them, right? Just kidding. I love our worship. I love our worship team. As I was praying this morning, getting ready for today, I felt like the Lord showed me that there are some of you that you walk in here and the battle you're facing feels so heavy that you can't even sing the songs, that the enemy wants to take your voice from you. But there's something powerful about worshiping in the middle of warfare. It's easy to worship after the victory, and we should do that. We should worship at all times. But man, sometimes when we're in the middle of the fight, the enemy wants to take our voice from us. I remember uh, my mother-in-law years ago, a couple years ago, was diagnosed with a, a large lung cancer tumor in her lung that they diagnosed as lung cancer. And I told you guys a story before. But I remember the day after we got that diagnosis, I had taken my daughter to preschool, was dropping her off, and her preschool teacher was like, hey, Josh, let me ask you, how's, how's Bobby doing? And I started to answer her, and I couldn't even speak. I just started crying. I just became over, overcome with emotions. I'd kind of stuffed it all in and trying to, and I just remember getting in the car that day and I put a worship song on. It was a song called Surrounded. You know, we sing that song a lot around here. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It comes out of an Old Testament story where Elijah had to show his, his servant what he saw, which was there were enemies all around them, but when he was able to see spiritually through the spiritual eyes, he saw that there were so many more of God's angels and army that were surrounding them. And so I just began to sing that and sing that and sing that and just shout it. And by the time I got down to the hospital that day, my entire attitude had changed. It was like God did something in me. God doesn't always answer the prayer in the moment. It's not that always the armies turn and fight each other, but Sometimes the greatest miracle is that he changes our perspective in the middle of the war, in the middle of the fight. And I told you her story. It's really amazing. Uh, just a day or two later, the tumor was, was not cancer. Was it a misdiagnosis? Was it God healing? Doesn't matter to me. <laughs> She's still with us today. But everything changed in that moment because we, <clears throat> we worshiped in the middle of the warfare. And so again, I just want to encourage you today Simple message, you're in a battle that you didn't choose. The battle chose you. Be honest with God. God, I don't know what to do, but I'm gonna keep my eyes on you. I'm gonna continue to get in your presence. I'm gonna make church a priority. I'm gonna join a small group. I'm gonna keep my eyes on you. I'm gonna wait until I get a word from you. And waiting is hard, but some of us are in a waiting season right now, just waiting for God to move, change somebody's heart move in your finances, whatever that is. I'm gonna worship in the warfare, and here's what I'm believing. Normally do three-point messages. Got fourth one today for you, and it's the best one. So if we'll do that, what's gonna happen is we're gonna end up renaming our battleground to a place of blessing. So the enemies destroy each other, dead bodies all throughout here. Look what happened. 
King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. And on the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. It's still called the Valley of Blessing to this day. The very place that caused in verse three, terror and fear had now been renamed to the Valley of Blessing. See, what they thought was really bad news at the beginning of this chapter ended up providing them with resources that took them three days to gather that would sustain them through future battles that they would have to fight, that would be the resources they would need for the, the, the years to come came out of that battleground that now is called a blessing. I don't know if anybody else in this place has a testimony of God turning a battle into a blessing that you would say, hey, that I, 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 you know, I would go back and do it all again. And, and there are times that I'm like, ah, when I think about my, my sister-in-law who died in the plane crash, I don't think I would have her do that again because I'd love to have her here. But the sentiment behind it is what God did out of that tragedy and out of that trial has changed me in a way that I don't ever want to go back to how I was before that. Briefly on that situation, Lisa's family was just completely disjointed and disconnected. Divorce several times over had caused a lot of tension and a lot of just trauma in the lives of this family. And we would all point back to Andrea's death and that plane crash as a turning point in our family. Now they, it's funny, it's a little weird, but uh, Lisa's dad was married prior and uh, and his, his ex-wife was Andrea's mom, and now uh, she's been remarried. He calls her husband his husband-in-law because they're so close. They, they vacation together because God has brought peace where there once was conflict. It's a valley of blessing in our family. I, I got a call this week from, um, from a pastor out in California. He was like, hey, Josh, can you do a staff meeting for for my team in a couple of weeks and via Zoom. And I was like, yeah, man, I'd love to do that. And I said, what do you want me to talk about? And he said, I want you to talk about the healing services. And if you're new here in 2019, we did a healing service and God just showed up in a powerful way. We saw a lot of people get healed and we're still seeing that to this very day. Our prayer team this morning was like, Josh, you're not gonna believe this story and that story. And but as he asked me to do that, I was like, I'd love to do it. But what we call a healing service today and a healing movement of God started out as a battle. It was a cancer diagnosis of my sister that we didn't know what to do. We, 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 we didn't know how to help. And we just felt like God gave us a word that said, hey, there's more than just your sister. You should do a healing service. And it's so often we look back on these places and we call it a valley of blessing today. But at one point it was a battle. And I just hope that gives you hope for whatever battle you're in right now. If you'll bring it to God, pray honest prayers. God, I don't know what to do, but I'm putting my eyes on you. You'll wait on him, surrender. God, this battle is not mine, it's yours. I'm gonna worship in the middle of the warfare. I'm gonna do the only thing I know what to do, which is turn my attention and my heart towards you. I'm believing that he's gonna break through in your life in such a way that you at some point will rename this current battle as a blessing because of what it did in you and through you. 
Would you guys pray with me as we close? God, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you that you're speaking to us today. I just pray, God, in this moment for the people who are here today who are in the middle of a battle that they didn't choose. If that's you today, I just want you to know that the Lord wants to encourage you out of his word. Just be honest. This is a church that if you're not honest, you're probably not gonna make it very long because we do real here. Not very good at pretending. Just be honest with God today. God, I'm in this battle. I don't know what to do. I'm at the end of my rope. And God, we together just declare that we're gonna wait on you. We're gonna wait on a word. Waiting's uncomfortable. So often we wanna take control, but we're just gonna wait on you. We're gonna worship you. And God, I just pray that you would move in a mighty way on our behalf. God, that hearts would be changed, that circumstances would be changed. God, that, that we would be able to look back and say, wow, what I thought was a, a battle became a blessing in my life. So would you just move on our behalf? We love you. We thank you, Jesus, Lord, that the battle that we ultimately couldn't win, the battle with our own sin, that you did win that. Lord, that your death, your resurrection produced freedom for us, produces breakthrough for us, salvation for us. We continue to put our trust in you. Thank you for winning that battle 2,000 years ago. And thank you that you continue to win battles today. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.